Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for being here. We're so excited. As you can tell, uh, I'm here, so no baby yet. Uh, We're working on that. My my wife more than me a little bit, but we uh, we're making it happen. We had a great conversation um, last night. That I'll let you just peek into the window of my life real quick. Um, Talking about you know we got the bag all prepped. Everything's everything's ready to go. So I'm just waiting for a text or a phone call or whatever. Let's go to the hospital, that kind of thing, right? And we've got everything lined up. We've got people in place to be able to watch our kids, really anybody living and breathing. They're taking the kids, you know, um, the rest of them. And uh, I asked her the question, what do you think this kid's going to look like, you know? Have you ever had, had a kid, you kind of ask that question, is he going to look more like you or unfortunately more like me? What's he going to look like, you know? And she goes, I think we're due for an ugly one. I got to be honest. <laughs> So what do you mean? She's like, we've had, we've, we're three for three on really cute kids. And have you ever noticed that there's always an ugly kid in every family? Have you ever noticed that? You think to yourself right now, not my family, we're all cute. You are the ugly one, my friends. If you look around and everyone else is cute in your family, you are the ugly one. I have uh, three younger sisters, all very cute, by the way. Uh, you can read that for what it's worth. But my oldest younger sister has three kids, and two of them are insanely cute. And then there's just one more that's just, you know, he's a nice kid. But anyways, um, I'm sure he'll be an athlete or something. I don't know. what. It is. We're starting a series today uh, called Louder Than Words. It's a series on character because, as we always know, uh, actions speak louder than words. And uh, um, what, don't tell me what you say you believe in terms of your character. Your character shows through, and um, I can tell who you are based on how you live your life, and that's how we kind of interpret what people value most and how they live their life. And so if you're a guest with us, you picked a great day to come check us out because it is the very first part of a series uh, that's going to run for about four to five weeks. We're going to go into December and then do a short like two or three Christmas series and then Christmas Eve, and that's the, that's the plan for kind of the fall schedule. Um, but I want to talk about character for a little bit. You have a note sheet inside of your program uh, if you want to write some things down that are interesting. But character is interesting because um, character is what I want and everybody that I live with and everybody that I work with and everybody that I went to school with and everybody that works for me and all of that. I want character in all of them. I'm not as concerned about addressing the lack of character in my own personal life as I am about the lack of character in your life. And the same thing happens for you. You want character in all the people that you live with and work with and, and, and are related to. But um, for you personally, I mean, we're not always willing to put in what's necessary to gain the level of character for our own personal well-being, right? I want the person who finds my wallet or finds my cell phone at the gym because I left it behind to have an immense amount of character, to be able to turn it in without rifling through it or stealing my phone or doing like that, right? That's what, that's what I want from them. When my daughter... Um, who's nine right now, when she starts dating 18 years from now, I want her boyfriend uh, to not only be in a career already, an established career, uh, and no school debt, which is going to be impressive because he's a doctor, um, and knows what a 401k is. I want him to have an immense amount of character. I want him to ooze character. We want other people to have character. It frustrates us when people, other people don't have character. We're not as frustrated by our lack of character, but we are frustrated. In fact, your lack of character bothers me a whole lot more than my lack of character. 
it bothers me a whole lot more than my lack of character. I can't sleep at night because of your lack of character, but I sleep pretty well at night uh, based on my oftentimes. I give myself a lot more grace than I give you, right? And I think that you do the same for other people. Why is it? Why is it that we value character in the lives of other people? And I mean, even define character, but I'm, I'm trying to paint it in these broad strokes that kind of comes around it. So like, I'll define it a little bit later, but you kind of know what I'm talking about. I want you to have higher standards for yourself than I sometimes hold myself to when it comes to character. And I'm not against character. No, listen, nobody's against character. Everybody wants character. The problem that we have, the reason that we find a, a lack of it um, in, in us, and we're so frustrated in a lack of it in, in other people, is, is not that somebody's like, I'm not really interested in it. Everybody wants character. The problem is we just don't place a high enough priority on it, or we place other things as more important than character. In the spectrum of life, Character is important, but sometimes other things are more important. For example, achievement or accomplishment, oftentimes in our uh, progressive, uh, needing forward motion type of society, takes a higher priority than character. I don't care um, who you are and what you stand for as much as what you can do, right? Think about it in the terms of a professional athlete. How many professional athletes have we gone... Yeah, he's a total jerk. He's just, a, you know, he's, he's an a-hole in this area. But good grief, he's really good at football. Do you know what I mean? Listen, I have Ezekiel Elliott on three of my fantasy football leagues. And right now you're thinking, how many leagues do you really have? Good question. Doesn't matter. I have three. And he's about to be suspended, has been, and then he fights it off, and he gets it delayed, delayed, delayed all, all the time. And, I, and he's got the, it's like this huge moral dilemma. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be like against that kind of stuff, but I really want to beat Corey this week in fantasy football. And so how do I justify? I'm like, do I turn a blind eye to his lack of character when it comes to this? And you can be like, hey, maybe he wasn't, you know, that's not really a thing, whatever. Anyways, I know, I know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm playing a specific example, but we, we know what this looks like in professional athletes. I don't care what he does in the offseason. I just want him to have him help my team win a championship. And maybe, maybe, maybe one day the Mariners will make the playoffs. And when that happens, it'll be amazing. So we, we oftentimes turn the other way when it comes to accomplishment and achievement and, and uh, when it comes to character, when, when those things are on the line. Because forward motion in our society is most important. Do what it takes to win and I don't want to say, as, you know, as a boss, I don't want to tell you what you should have to do in order to get the deal, but wink, wink, you know what needs to be done. I'm not going to come, you know, verbalize it. I'm not going to put in an email, but do whatever it takes to get the deal. I will turn away from character as long as there's forward motion being made because accomplishment is greater than character. Or in our society, too, fulfillment's greater than character. By the same token, we feel like um, we are on this quest for personal fulfillment and quest for personal happiness, and whatever it takes to get there is better than character. Uh, if it makes me happy and if it makes me feel good and it makes me feel like I can be the thing that I'm called to be, uh, then, then all of a sudden I, I'm, I think that that's a higher priority than being a person of character. Anything that stands in the way of my fulfillment and anything that stands in the way of my pleasure is wrong. But what I do and what makes me happy is the most important thing. Whenever character takes a backseat to fulfillment or accomplishment, ethics begin to change. Now, there was an amazing book that I'm working through currently as a result of this series. I knew I was going to be talking on character, and I knew that this guy named David Brooks, he's an author, uh, writer for, op-ed guy for the New York Times, um, has been doing it for something, 25-odd years or something like that, has written several books. His most recent book was a book called Ro The Road to Character. And in it, he says, 
Um, in the introduction, he talks about two different sorts of atoms, okay, A-D-A-M, as in, as in man. He, he, he pulls this idea of this illustration from this Jewish rabbi who talks about the, that man kind of has two ways of doing things. Adam 1 is about accomplishment. Adam 1 is about building, creating, producing, discovering things, making a name for himself, creating a, a, a positive future for himself. It's all good things. He wants to have high status and win victories. But Adam 2 is the internal Adam. He focuses on the internal victories. He lives a smaller, quiet life. He wants to embody certain moral qualities, and he will ignore those other things for the sake of, uh, of, of building um, those quieter um, moral qualities. That, those are the positive things for him. And um, what he then says is we often live in a world that does not allow for these two things. It's like a paradox of the two atoms. We cannot have both at the same time. Occasionally, there will come circumstances in life where you will have to choose one or the other. Do I chase success? Do I chase accomplishment? Do I chase achievement? Or do I chase something a little bit more subtle, a little bit more uh, others-focused, a little bit more selfless, a little bit more of a humble approach? Which one are we going to choose? Adam 1 versus Adam 2. He goes on, he says, we live in a society that encourages us to think about how to have a great career, but leaves many of us inarticulate about how to cultivate the inner life, somebody who's passionate about the inner life. The consumer marketplace, and we just finished this series on more, where we're coming out of what is this consumer-driven market, what does that teach us? What do those liturgies and those rituals teach us? So this is the kind of a build upon from that last series. The consumer marketplace encourages us to live by a utilitarian, a utilitarian calculus, in other words, uh, utilitarian is how can I be used? What can, how does it get me to where I want to go? Does it work for me? To satisfy our desires and to lose sight of the moral stakes involved in everyday decisions. Morality versus, versus success versus progress versus advancement versus achievement. Which one are we going to choose? This last part, I thought I could summarize, but I've tried to say it to myself over the weekend, and I just can't put it into words as good as he says it, so I'm just going to read it. It's a big, long passage. It's going to be three slides on the screen. It's too much to write down in case you're trying to take notes. So what I would encourage you to do is uh, you can text the word notes to 97,000 on your smartphone. It'll be all on there. We'll also, I'll put a post on it on the Talkspace page um, later this week. Um, but here's what he says uh, to kind of finish out the first part of this introduction as to why I'm writing this book. This is why he's like, here's why I'm writing this book. If you are only Adam one, you turn into a shrewd animal, a crafty self-preserving creature who is adept at playing the game and who turns everything into a game. If that's all you have, you spend a lot of time cultivating professional skills, but you don't have a clear idea of the sources of meaning in life. So you don't know where you should devote your skills, which career paths will be highest and best. He goes on. Years pass, and the deepest parts of yourself go unexplored and unstructured. You're busy, but you have a vague anxiety that your life has not achieved its ultimate meaning and significance. You live with an unconscious boredom, not really loving, not really attached to the moral purposes that give life its worth. Final slide. You never develop inner constancy, the integrity that can withstand popular disapproval or a serious blow. You find yourself doing things that other people approve of, whether these things are right for you or not. You foolishly judge other people by their abilities, not by their worth. You do not have a strategy to build character, and without that, not only your inner life, but also your external life will eventually fall to pieces. Not only your inner life, but eventually that external life, that as an Adam one, you are obsessed with keeping the image right. 
But if that's all you ever focus on, his claim here, whether you agree or disagree or not, he's trying to say when it, when it all comes to, to, to balance, eventually you've worked so hard to maintain an image, but at home it's just really not there. I've talked to so many people who would say, listen, from the outside, things look great. I've never had this much money in my bank account. I've never had this great a job with this amount of freedom. Uh, I've never had a relationship as deep as I've had in the last six months or a year or whatever. But I got to be honest with you. If, I was, if, I, if I'm honest, I've been chasing this Adam one active developing this image, working on myself, working on all of the things that when I walk into Barnes & Noble and there's a wall of business books, these are the, this is the life, this is the vision of the good life that they point me to. And I've been successful at those, but if I'm honest, the inner workings, that I've never developed the structure underneath the image I've never developed the character to be able to support that kind of a life, and I'm fearful that it's beginning to crumble, or it has crumbled, and I'm now picking up the pieces. I don't have the structure of the support. I've not done the inner work on myself. I've not become a person of character who can live up to the expectations of what's being expected of me out there. In a society where accomplishment and fulfillment are better than character, are more valued than character, there will eventually be a breakdown relationally. This is what David Brooks writes about. There will be a breakdown relationally, which essentially is an assumption then that character is something that sustains relationships. And, you, and listen, we know this because we've been friends with people who lack character and those friendships don't last long. People who lack character generally engage in short-term relationships that are used to leverage and get things that they need, whether it's access to people or some sort of an access to a popularity or um, you know, financial means or something like that. These are all based on what can this person do for me, then I will like them. These are short-term relationships that eventually crumble because, because character isn't there to be able to support them. Character, eventually, a lack of it, causes a breakdown relationally. Or another way to put it is character is the oil that makes relationships long-term, meaningful relationships function. Have you ever driven your car without oil? Did you know you can for a short period of time? Your car will start. Here's how I know this. I owned a 1989 Toyota Celica Blue. The lights popped up like Knight Rider. Um, it was amazing. Uh, and it was my very first car. I bought it from my uncle for $1,000. I worked all summer long uh, on a farm and then waited tables at Red Lion and Pasco to buy this car. I went over to Seattle to where my uncle lived. I gave him the money. I drove the car home. On the way out of town, my dad said, pull in this gas station. He gave me nothing for the car, but he said, I'll buy you your first tank of gas. I said, dad, you're so generous. He said, don't mention it, you know? So, and I said, he said, fill her up. I said, all the way to the top, all the way to the top. That's probably the only time my car was ever full of gas <laughs> through age 16 through 19, by the way. But anyways, so we pull in this gas station, and I reach for the hose, and, and then I, I go to the buttons, and I almost push 91 octane, and he says, slaps my hand and says, 87, don't, don't be greedy. You know what I mean? So I stick it in, and I fill out my car. Anyways, stick, five-speed, uh, had I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles on it, um, rattled all the time, uh, and began to slowly leak oil on my parents' driveway. 
come to find out. And uh, so we took it into the shop, and the guy's like, yeah, it's just an old car, and that's just what, kind of what happens, compression, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking all these words I don't understand. He, his basic recommendation was it's not worth fixing. It's just best to monitor it and keep it full of oil. Can you do that, son? I said, absolutely. I said, what kind of a, how much, how often should I check it? And he's like, I, whatever it takes to keep oil in it, man, I can't tell you that. And I said, all right. So I start checking it. I checked it like every day for the first week. And the line doesn't move that much. It's just drip, 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 right? So nothing, nothing big. Eventually, though, my ability to check it um, did not keep up with the pace of the increasing level of oil that was being dropped into my parents' driveway. Uh, and so what happens then is one day I'm driving to uh, basketball practice, and I go up 68, and I do that little loop around. And on that loop around, my car starts shaking, seizing up. I don't know what you want to call it. I pull off to the side of the road. I, I open up the lid, and you can just smell. It smells like something's burning, like I'm barbecuing something, and I left the propane on for too long. And we call a guy who knows about cars up. knows my dad. And comes over, looks at him, and goes, someone's lost time you checked your oil. I said, I don't know. I can't remember. It's like, you've been driving this car without oil, and you have now ruined your car. Congratulations. Right? So you now have a hunk of metal <laughs> on the side of the road, and it's not worth rebuilding the engine, yada, yada, yada. I realized at that point a really in- interesting life lesson. You can drive your car without oil for a little bit, but then you can't. Because even though there are parts that were designed specifically to work with each other, eventually without oil, there will be too much friction and things will begin to seize up, it'll overheat, and it'll all burn up. What I mean to illustrate is this. Like, you can go through seasons of your life without character and survive, um, but you will not be able to sustain that long term. You can engage in a dating relationship without character and probably get by for a little while, but eventually it, catch, <clears throat> it catches up to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you run out of oil. And things that were designed to work perfectly together, listen, I do probably eight to 10 weddings every summer. I stand up in front of a group of people just like this, and there's two people who are dressed really nice, and they look at each other in the eyes and be like, I love you. And they say that to each other, and there's all kinds of rings and flowers, and everybody smells good and looks good. They get all cleaned up for this thing. And, and they'll say, we were meant to be, we, it's like we were built, we'll meet together um, like for like premarital counseling, and be like, we were like made for each other, man. We like the same things. We both watch HGTV, and I look at the guy, and he's like, mm-hmm. You know, he's got that like, whatever it takes, man. She said yes to me, married me, and I, I got to work with that, you know? Um, and and they, they say phrases like, we were made for each other, made for each other. And they genuinely believe it, and they were, probably, right? Whatever. And yet, uh, whenever there's a character breakdown in that, there's, there's, it lacks the lubrication to be able to make the things that were supposedly designed to work exactly with each other, and eventually they work against each other and will destroy each other. And that's why a lot of times relationships are the worst ones. When somebody knows you the best and then the rejection takes place, like, man, I can't tell you how many times the language, the vitriol of the language from a divorcee against that person is so much more bitter and anger and, and resentful 
um, than somebody who, you know, I, I, I kind of know, and they borrowed my car, and they scratched the car, and they never said sorry, and they never paid for it, and I, I, and I have to live with that. I don't talk to that person anymore. I'm relationship, but I don't hate them, but I hate him. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, that's the problem that a lack of character causes in us. It bruises us relationally, and we may be able to get by for some time, but eventually there will be a breakdown of relationships, and it just will not work. And long-term relationships, long-term friendships, long-term marriages, long-term father-son, mother-daughter, mother-daughter, or mother-son, all of that, if there's no character, um, they... they that the relationships will suffer. I said in the last week of the, the last series that we did, you, the decisions that you make today um, are important because you want the respect of your adult children. And your, your kids may be young now, but you want, think, think through the decisions that you're making because you want the, the respect of your adult children someday. You parents of young children, you want that. You want them to like you and want to hang out with you even when they don't have to anymore. And that comes as a result of having that character. So we need to define character, probably. Character is doing the right thing, or the will to do what is right, regardless of the cost. Now, there's probably a ton of different ways you could define it, and you maybe have read a book or watched a show or listened to an uh, Oprah talk or something like that where it's been defined differently. That's fine. For the, for the purpose of this series... Uh, the definition that we're going to operate with is going to be the will to do what is right regardless of the cost. I'm doing what is right regardless, not just financial cost, but cost to my ego, cost to myself, cost to, to uh, you know, what my hopes and dreams, um, but, but I, it's the right thing for me to do and I should do it. Now, if you are a Christian, then you get to take this, you get to, you get to take this one step further, Right? I recognize that in a setting like this, we try and appeal to people who are t- totally like not into church and not typically uh, into that sort of thing. And so um, there may be people who are like, I'm not into God, Jesus thing, but I'm just, I thought it was a theater. I thought there was gonna be a movie and I'm actually really disappointed right now, but I can't leave because it's awkward. So that's fine, totally get it. I think this series is still valuable even for those of you who might be consider yourself irreligious. For those of you who are Christians, we add something to this. The will to do what is right as God defines right regardless of the cost. We add this element of understanding that we don't get to define what is right for us because in that sense, we can create our own sense of character. This feels right to me. I'm going to do what is right, parentheses, for me, what I think is right, which isn't really character at all. For Christians, we find ourselves, we uh, have to walk into it with a couple of assumptions. One, we come under the authority of a God who um, has expectations for us, has put principles and laws in place. We are trying on a pathway to constantly discover what that is through word, through scripture, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, through community together. Uh, we are trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do in this way? But character is, is, is the statement that says, okay, whatever that is, I'm in. I'm, my answer is yes before I even know the question or the answer to the question that I'm asking. The will to do what is right is God defines right regardless of the cost. And it also has to do with understanding the motives as to why I'm doing this. The motives for character are important as well. Not only that I'm going to do what's right, but I'm going to do it because it's right, not because I might get caught. If somebody was to say, I'm going to choose not to have an affair because I'm worried that my wife's going to find out and she's going to see the emails, the text messages, and I don't want to do that. We're not like, ooh, that's so, that's so moral and ethical, 
uh, we are not impressed by that. That person has thought through logically uh, the fact that in today's society, it's, you can't hide that kind of crap forever, right? We are more impressed with, I'm going to choose not to do something, even though I probably could get away with it, I don't want to do it because it's not right. So there's a sense of under authority and there's a sense of motivation involved in all of this when it comes to what does it mean to be a person of character. And the reason I think this is important is because God highly values character. This is what we're going to discover over the next couple of weeks. God highly values character in his children, aka you, me, everyone here, because it accurately reflects his image, because it's something that he cares for and he stands for and is all about and therefore loves it. When we, who are called his image bearers, right? The technical term is imago de made in the image of God, carry that out into our world with the rest of his family. That we are the type of people who choose to do what is right as defined by him, even uh, in spite of what it's going to cost us, regardless of what we feel like it's going to cost us. Now, what I want to do is um, look at one quick passage in Proverbs. There's going to be, throughout the rest of this series, we'll, we'll, we'll focus a lot more on, on different passages, especially bringing in um, some of the Jesus perspective on, uh, on humility and people of character in, in his talk. But here, there's a, a passage in Proverbs that speaks to this specifically. Proverbs was like this collection of proverbial sayings that the Jewish people lived with. Um, these would be things that a father a lot of times would teach their son this would, or their daughter. This would be kind of like the curriculum at home. This is if they did a lot. They didn't have schools in the way that we had. We have school systems now, right? Uh, your kids go off and are taught by teachers that have gone to professional training. A, a lot of times, these this would be at home. This would be a take-home curriculum. Teach your kids this, and they will live a pretty decent life. Um, so that's a, really a, a huge piece of the proverbs for this Jewish people leading them up. So they're expected to train their kids about character. So this passage right here would be a character passage that a Jewish parent would teach their Jewish son or daughter. Proverbs chapter, chapter 11, verses 1. The Lord detests dishonest scales. Listen, if you want to be successful at life, son, you need to know this. The Lord detests dishonest scales. Now, confession, I love dishonest scales because the scale at the gym, at Gold's Gym, is about three pounds lighter than the one I have at home. So it always makes me feel really good about myself, even though mine at home is digital and probably more accurate because that one's like the whole you know weight thing moving. And so I like that one there. I love dishonest scales. You love dishonest scales. Don't you have a piece of clothing in your closet right now that says medium, but it fits like a large? You keep it because it says medium on it. Doesn't even look that good on you anymore. I have a pair of jeans. They're size 32. I, I promise you, I am not a size 32. I love these jeans. Because why? They don't, they don't, they don't match. They're acid washed. They, listen, they, but they fit. And I'd be like, 32, what size do you wear? Well, I'm glad you asked. 32, thank you for asking. We love it. We love dishonest scales when it benefits us, when it turns into our favor, okay? But that's not what he's talking here. What he's talking about here is a very common, this is the, um, the merchant slash buyer scenario for them. They didn't have a mall to go to, and they didn't have a monetary system that was as developed as the American economy, right? When we go to the mall uh, later today, or Target, or Shopko, or whatever, you, Shopko, who goes to Shopko? Anyways, you, when you go, they say, uh, 
20, sorry if you work at Shopco or own Shopco. Uh, are you open still? I have no idea. You might be, who knows? That could be an old, old illustration. Um, you go and they say, that is going to cost $15. And so you swipe a card or pull out $15 out of your wallet, and that's what it is, right? But back then, they didn't have that kind of a monetary system. They had, they had, um, they had silver, but it would be in different weights. So that would cost an, a half ounce of silver or an ounce of silver. And so what they would do is they would pull out their scale. If you want to buy this piece of clothing or this product or whatever, here's our scale. And right here, I've got a one ounce weight. And I'm going to put that weight on one side, and you're going to put enough ounces of silver on this side to be able to balance it out, right? But if this, but I'm trusting you as the merchant to have accurate weights, because if this says one ounce, but it's really an ounce and a quarter, I don't know the difference. So I just keep putting on my silver and all of a sudden you've ripped me off 25%. And the odds of you getting caught are pretty similar, even though there was things in place to be able to do it. The, the odds of getting away with it were pretty, were pretty strong. And so therefore, you could get away with it. It's not the right thing to do, but the odds of you getting caught are so slim, you might as well just try and do it. This is the reason why, by the way, you have ridges on your quarters. Did you know this? You have ridges on your quarters, not because it makes it spin well or whatever, but because early on in the system, those were made with silver. And what would happen is people could scrape off the edges of the sides, keep the little shavings. You'd only do a little bit at a time, just enough that it wouldn't be noticeable. And over time, you could kind of save some money for yourself. But when they established these ridges on your it's called reading, um, R-E-E-D-I-N-G, reading on these edges, it made it impossible to shave off edges from your coins without it being noticeable. Insane, right? Um, so dishonest scales, getting away with something even though you can get, God detests dishonest scales. He goes on, and here's why, or here's the result. But accurate weights find favor with him. God abhors it when somebody acts dishonestly because they know they can get away with it, but he um, finds favor with those who are honest, or he it causes him delight. Some translations say it causes him delight. It causes his face to light up when he sees honesty. So he delights in honesty. Verse two, then he goes on, same chapter. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Those who operate with a sense of humility. Now, what we'll see throughout this series is that this Adam II type persona is characterized by humility. It's the type of person who doesn't overinvest in himself, who approaches life with a sense of of humble, humble nature, being like, listen, I don't have all the answers. I'm giving it my best shot. It's the type of person that um, is constantly described by C.S. Lewis in his book. He, called, he has a book called Mere Christianity, a, past, a chapter called The Great Sin. It's about pride. And, and he says, you'll run into a humble person sometimes. And it's not this, like, this self-loathing, smarmy, I'm, woe is me, I'm the worst person ever. It's somebody who doesn't think less of himself, but thinks of himself less. It's the type of person that you, you, will, you, you will love to be around that type of a person. Probably all that you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it's because you feel a little envious of anybody who seems to enjoy life so easily. He'll not be thinking about humility. He'll not be thinking about himself at all. If anybody would like to acquire humility, I think I can tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and a biggest step too. At least nothing can be done before it. If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. This is the type of person, he's like, listen, you don't have to be like this wormy, smarmy individual. It's the type of person who understands, I don't know if I have all the answers. I'm just giving it my best shot. And I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't try and sell myself to anybody. I'm not always constantly selling. I'm just being me, and I'm really interested in what you have to say. 
and about who you are. Listen, God blesses honesty and he, or sorry, he delights in honesty and he blesses humility. Blesses humility with what? He says, with wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, not, is, is more than knowledge. We've said before previously, knowledge is having all of these different things and knowing, what, um, knowing the options that are out there. Wisdom is knowing which path to take and which thing to do. God blesses humility with wisdom. Life, you crave wisdom in your life. Everybody wants more wisdom. Not, I don't need to be told uh, what to do. I want to know why I need to do it. I, I, I want to be able to see all of the different things and know what the best option is for me moving forward. That's a life full of wisdom. You have regrets in your life from decisions that you made in the moment, 16, 18, 21, 25, whatever, and you wish you could go back that night and have more wisdom in that moment, don't you? He says, I bless humility with wisdom. I delight, he says, God delights in honesty and I bless humility with wisdom. He goes on, verse three, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. In this amazingly concise passage is his father's trying to train this son. Listen, be honest in whatever you can do. Be a person who values humility and let your integrity be the thing that guides you. The integrity of the upright guides them. Number one question I get, when people want to meet with me and be like, hey, man, do you have some time for coffee? I got this thing going on in my life, and I just, I just need some direction. That's almost what it always comes down to. I need some direction. I've got some options in front of me. I'm not sure which way to go. How do I know what God wants me to do? And we made it like this sort of mystical thing about, is there some prayer that you can pray or something like that? Is there something? Can you, can you go read your Bible for a bit, Brent, and then come back and tell me what I'm supposed to do? You focus, this is, this is what he's saying. This is the father-son advice. Focus on being a person of integrity. And through that, through that character, I will guide you. Through character, through a life that has a pattern of character. What I've discovered in doing this now, I've been a, a pastor for about 12, 12 years, five with youth and about seven with adults, Right? I've discovered that men and women of a great character are pretty efficient in their decision-making. People who have made character a pattern in their life over the long haul rarely come to me. Maybe it's because they don't respect me. I don't know. I, I think it has more to do with the fact, uh, I think it has more to do with the fact that, that they understand I just do the right thing and trust that God will work out the rest. I'm going to choose to do the right thing regardless of personal cost. Instead of, gosh, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? I've got this thing, and, and I, um, I might, I, I kind of want to do this. If I choose to do this, it's going to really help me in my career, but my family's going to suffer as a result of this, or I really want to do this, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's quite right. I'm not going to be real proud to say that I work there or work in this industry or do this or that or the other thing. Some character doing what is right as defined by God, regardless of personal cost. So in essence, the short three-point lesson every Jewish dad would attempt to communicate to his son or daughter would be this. Always remember, God delights in honesty. He blesses humility, and he guides us through integrity. What does character look like? It looks like these three things. Be honest. God delights in it. Walk humbly. You'll be blessed with wisdom as a result of it. And lead and, and listen to uh, 
listen to where integrity would lead you. Listen to where integrity would guide you. Doing the right thing, regardless of personal cost. Back to that David Brooks um, book. This is in the introduction. So he did that whole extended piece on Adam one type of lifestyle. And then he contrasts it at the end. I close with this. This book, he, he writes, is about Adam too. This is about cultivating an inner life. This is not about completely ignoring that and not being successful. I mean, this guy's a crazy successful writer and he's not anti that, but it's, he's anti-accomplishment is greater than character. When you switch that around, character is greater than accomplishment. And if I have to choose between the two, I choose character. This book is about that. It's about how some people have cultivated strong character. It's about one mindset that people through the centuries have adopted to put iron in their core and to cultivate a wise heart. I wrote it, to be honest, to save my own soul. I wrote it because I realized I am inundated every day, day in and day out, with a society that pushes me towards an Adam one, celebrates an Adam one sort of lifestyle. But I've been around long enough to know that that's unsettling and unsatisfying. And what I need more is something different. In between services, I was uh, sent an article from Adam, uh, a guy who meets with me and, and watches He knows the backstory of David Brooks. And I mentioned in first service, I didn't think he was a Christian because he makes comments about it. And he, but uh, it, as of recently, there's been something that's come out. He was like, I'm processing this. I'm more open to religious, religion now than I ever have been as a result of writing this kind of thing because this this these the lifestyles and the, the the people the profiles of people who have lived by an Adam two sort of mentality a, li- a lifetime on a, on a pathway to character I found that I, I there's a deep respect that I have for them that I want to be like that that's what I want to be that's the type of leader I want to be he's going to go on to uh, talk about different presidents who have had that kind of leadership and different from all both political parties by the way it doesn't matter all, all kinds of world leaders all kinds of people maybe we've never even heard of but people who represent lifestyles of character, they live with a sense of um, delight, they live with a sense of honesty that I think God delights in, they live with a sense of humility, which is blessed with wisdom in life, and they walk with integrity, which is why. They understand the road to character and the value that it has. And that means for us, we got a few weeks on this topic, on this focus, to look at what it would like, what it would look like for us to live chasing after character and pushing ourselves to being the type of person whose natural response is to do what is right in the eyes of God, regardless of personal cost. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us this week as we engage in all of the things that life is going to throw at us, work and family and parenting and, and school and all kinds of different things. Uh, there are going to be opportunities for us to choose to do things that work in achievement and success and fulfillment in life. And I pray that in those moments, you would help us to pause even for a moment and ask us uh, or, or force us to ask the question, are, am I sacrificing character in order to receive these things? Am I, am I allowing these things to take priority over this? Is that the type of person that I want to be? Give us the wisdom to know what to do when those things occur and the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.